I always look at, tell me what your problem is and we'll solve it. Now it's a different approach. Let's find out what technology and how we can use it. And then we'll solve that problem. It's a little different way to look at things. So we're experimenting. Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Manufacturing Happy Hour. Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now your host, Chris Lukey. Hey, what's up everyone? It's episode 171 and today we are diving back into one of our most popular topics on the show these days, artificial intelligence. Our guest this week is Greg Powers of Gray Solutions. Now, this is the part of the intro where I'd usually tell you what Greg's title is, but he has a rather unique role at Gray Solutions, so we're going to save that for the beginning of the interview. If you're a regular listener of the show, you're probably familiar with Gray Solutions. Their CEO, Walker Maddox, was on the show about a dozen episodes back. Yes, their systems integrator with focus in food and beverage, CPG, life sciences, and more, but they're more than that. I'd like to think of them as an automation innovations company as well, which is right in line with today's conversation. So here are three things you can expect from this episode. First, we're going to get to know Greg, his title, of course, and his affinity toward innovation. Second, we're going to discuss artificial intelligence, what it means for manufacturing, and a first-of-its-kind solution that Greg and his team have been developing for industry. And it's honestly something that changes the way operators interact with equipment on the factory floor. Third, we'll discuss what it takes to foster an environment of innovation where experiments and trying new things are embraced. As always, if you want to learn more, check out the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 171. And if you're listening to this episode in February 2024, right around its release, I do want to let you know Manufacturing Happy Hour is heading to the Midwest Manufacturers Trade Show and Conference taking place on February 20th and 21st in Branson, Missouri. This event is hosted by the Missouri Association of Manufacturers. It's one I've wanted to attend for a long time. I'm a big fan of these regional-style events that bring together just a great community of tech providers, manufacturers, folks from around the industry. Plus, i got to let you know there's a Manufacturing Happy Hour pre-party on Monday, February 19th, before the main show kicks off. Again, that's the Midwest Manufacturers Trade Show and Conference. It's been running strong for a number of years, but if you're listening to this in February 2024, you still have a chance to make it out there. One last thing I'll say, if you want to join a community of industry leaders and take part in conversations about artificial intelligence, expanding opportunities in manufacturing, you name it, well, hey, I want you to join the Manufacturing Happy Hour industry community on LinkedIn. Go to manufacturinghappyhour.com community, shoot me a message on LinkedIn, tell me you want to join, and I will let you write in that group. We'd love to have you as part of those conversations. All right, that's it for today's introduction. It's time to meet up with this week's guest, Greg Powers. Greg, it's excellent to have you here on Manufacturing Happy Hour. And 
we were chatting a little bit before the interview. If we were having this conversation in person, we would probably be in a bit of a, a nautical environment, let's say. Yes. Uh, so Chris, love my boat. That's where I spend my majority of my free time. It's a great place to, you know, have a cocktail, watch the sunsets. It's amazing. Anything on the water is what I love. So very passionate about that. So yeah. Awesome. So let's say a bunch of us are there drinking on your boat, having, having a cocktail as the sun sets. You have one of the most unique job titles I've ever come across. And I remember getting your business card at a trade show and thinking that in that moment as well. You are the VP of Cool Stuff at Gray Solutions. So how do you describe what a VP of Cool Stuff does as if you're hanging out having beverages on a boat? So, I, I mean, I, I'll give you a little how this title came. And I, I know everyone asked me, Chris, how do I get the title of VP of Cool Stuff? Um, everyone wants that one. I, I know the people that I work for, after I got the title, they're all trying to figure out how they could get the title in theirs. I got business director of Cool Stuff, you know. But uh, it's kind of interesting story. We had a, a big customer come into uh, uh, Gray, uh, and they're building a huge manufacturing facility. So we're kind of introducing ourselves, all, all these executives and they have these great titles, you know, uh, you know, just, and, and at my, at my, at that point in time, it was a, a VP of digital transformation, but I, I kind of took a little different path. So I, I basically introduced myself as VP of cool stuff. The president of gray kicked me and said, kicked my back and said, you can't tell people that. And I said, well, it's too late. I kind of already did. So then I took the same group over into our innovation center and I got, I got the, you know, uh, CIO and all executives and they're programming robots and they're watching AMRs run around and looking at vision systems. And, uh, and they got to see spot the, the robotic dog and they actually programmed it. So as we kind of grouped into the innovation center, I, I, I asked him, I goes, what do you think about this stuff? And they go, this is some really cool stuff. And so that's why I kind of adopted that title. Well, um, I said, that's, that's why I'm VP of cool stuff. Well, uh, our CEO heard about that like two weeks later and he, he just, he says, okay, that's your new title, VP of cool stuff. So that's how it got to be. So it was a pretty good story. And ever since then, just really showcasing all that cool technology is amazing. And we're going to get into some of that cool technology later on. I pr appreciate how you took the initiative to bring that title to fruition right in the moment. It's funny. And, and this I, I'm, I'm going to tell one very quick story here at the start because I know you've got a couple up your sleeve. But it's your title, when I heard it, is one of two times in my career I can remember being kind of shocked by someone's job title. The other time, ironically, was right before the party I throw with you guys, Gray Solutions, at uh, Automation Fair every year. I was at dinner the night before, waiting in line at a, a, a place called Neptune Oyster in Boston. And it's a spot where you can't make a reservation. You wait in line for a long time. And I, I started talking about New Haven-style pizza and this very... New England gentleman jumps in and goes like, which one's your favorite? Which one's your favorite? Well, anyway, the conversation moved on from New Haven style pizza very quickly, found out they worked at a custom ski and snowboard manufacturer. And 
after the conversation ended, I, I'm talking to this guy. I'm like, hey, I'm actually in the market for a custom snowboard right now. How do I reach you? And they're like, well, you got to reach out to this guy. He's the the CPO, our chief party officer. And I thought he was joking, but he handed me the business card and it did say CPO on it at the at the same time. And the irony is now I'm actually ordering a custom snowboard from them, which I think is a manufacturing story in and of itself. But long story short, right before throwing the party with Gray Solutions at Automation Fair, I had another run in with the second coolest title I've ever seen in my life. So thought that might be appropriate today for today's conversation. It is a great title and everyone's trying to find out how they can get it. I, you know, the, the the challenge I have, Chris, is where do you go after that title? I mean, I, I don't know. VP of Cool Stuff, I think, is at the, at the top uh, of a title. And I, I don't know what my next step will be title-wise, so... I mean, senior vice president of really cool stuff might be the only natural evolution from there. If you wanna wanna yeah. give yourself a promotion, <laughs> well, hey, we could we could riff on titles all day long, but I'm excited to get into really what that means. And from what I've gathered, Greg, you've always been on the cutting edge in your career. You always have like a a pulse on what's next in manufacturing and. You got your start before Gray Solutions, working at Kellogg. You spent a lot of time in Accenture as well. What is one of the first moments in your career where you really remember getting involved in what's next? Well, you know, you know, it's kind of interesting. I'm working when I first started at Kellogg's. I'd have you know the plant manager would come back and they'd see all this great technology at a at a trade show or something like that, and I was hesitant. I, I goes, yeah, it's cool, but what does it do? How's it going to help you really um, achieve some kind of, um, you know, benefit in the organization? So I think the key is tying that technology into a practical application and how you better can use it. So it's it's not to say. I mean, I I know so many people say, I want to I want to I want to put AI in my facility, and I'm like. Well, what what are you trying to prove out? I mean, is there is there a reason? No, it's just everyone else is adopting it. That's not necessarily the reason you have to have that. So I started that kind of creativity. You know, I've always been pretty creative on technology. I already really focus on technology, but really kind of bringing that technology to do something to improve a process or or do something. That's where I really got. And I just love it. I get passionate about the fact that you can take technology and actually make money or, or do something profitable or just make a difference. You know, I think that is the key to using this technology. It's, it's how you use it and what you gain out of it. So, um, I, with the center, I was a part of the strategic, um, team, um, under industrial, they call it industrial X dot O, which is, you know, that the buzzword again. But it, that's where I kind of got started on some of this really pretty nifty stuff, you know. So uh, it's been an amazing path right now for coming from there all the way to Gray Solutions. So amazing technology. And whether this was at the beginning of your career or where you are now, what has allowed you to be successful in guiding your teammates, your teams to focus on the practical applications rather than get caught up in the trends, the hype, et cetera. When we first started off in a 
basically we had a garage that we we started this showcasing this technology. So I, I think finding where that niche can be done with minimal effort. I don't want to say we got to, you know, spend a million dollars to showcase technology, just do a proof of concept or showcase something small. And I guess it gets, it gets people thinking about my, my philosophy is I always deem this, this phrase art of the possible. So it's really what is possible. I don't know that, but a customer might know what is possible if I showcase the technology. So it's really giving them an idea where you can go with it, what's out there, because I think customers don't necessarily know what's out there and you got to educate them and they can take it in a practical terms and apply that to whatever business they're, they're trying or whatever they're trying to achieve. Well, in the spirit of the art of the possible, as I believe he just said, let's shift this conversation over to one of the big centerpieces of our discussion today, which is AI and automation and manufacturing. I know for a fact AI, it's already a big topic on the show this year and will continue to be. But based on your background, I'm really interested to get your perspectives on this because I know this is also what you're working on at Gray right now. But let's let's get a starting point. When you talk about applying AI to manufacturing, what does that mean? Let's get a baseline. So when people talk about AI, it's more on figuring things out, doing the learning, and then applying that to the system. So uh, it, it's a complete control loop. So what I say, not a person is making the changes to the control systems or the equipment. It's AI's making that. So it's completing that. So it sees that something's out of spec. This is truly having the software actually make the changes to the equipment and making it run. That's true AI. And if you look at the past, you, you look at vision system, vision systems have been around for a long time. They're probably the first adopters of what I call AI, because as they see pictures, they see tons of different pictures. They can make that within a tolerance, just determine maybe this is a a defect or not a defect base. It's kind of learning as it sees more pictures, it's seen something similar. So vision systems been around for a while and have, and great solutions have adopted that. And then we start playing on what else can we do with this? And that's where we're kind of playing right now. And, and we've done some amazing stuff. We do a lot with modeling of plant operations. So we'll take a, like a 3d modeling rendering of that complete manufacturing facility, not necessarily digital twin, but simulation and modeling. We said, oh, this is amazing. We do it with robotics. We do it with AMRs and AGBs. And we really, it's kind of like designing your plant before even step foot in it, before even the foundation. I, I, I always tell this story. I wish I would have done this when I built my house. So my wife got a good picture of what that house would look like with everything working. Probably would have a lot of headaches over the years of things that she would have liked to have changed. But if you could see that in the model, we can make a robot move in the model and the physical robot can move. We've been able to do that for some time, but now we introduce AI into this. So we're basically using an AI tool. I won't say, well, there's, there's some popular ones out there and we use the popular one, but 
basically we were able to integrate that through um, an avatar talking to an, basically an AI tool through an avatar and controlling the robot. And that's what you're kind of driving. Can I make a machine move? Can I use AI to do all that stuff? But it grew into more, Chris. Now we're looking at, could this be your new HMIs of the future? Is this how we're going to talk to machinery? Is this is how we're going to communicate with machinery? Using AI as the tool and letting it figure out all the other stuff in the middle. I just got to tell it what I'm trying to do and it figures it out. So that's where we're kind of at right now on AI. I've been, I've been taking a lot of notes here because I want to kind of dissect a few of the things we've talked about. Next round of our interviews coming up right after a word from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Swipe Guide. Swipe Guide is helping frontline workers perform at their best through standard work instructions and skills development. Their clear cut platform lets frontline teams coordinate instructions, job aids, and training to optimize processes. All of these aspects add up inside of a manufacturing operation, keeping motivation high and operations running. I mean, Swipe Guide is right in line with one of our biggest themes here on Manufacturing Happy Hour, empowering frontline teams. Their customers are saying the same thing. Here's a quote from a recent review. Swipe Guide has been fantastic for empowering our operators. They now have all the information and knowledge they need to do their jobs at their fingertips. Plus, if you really want to hear how Swipe Guide is making a difference for manufacturers, then head back and listen to episode 167, where Swipe Guide CEO Villamine Schneider and Joris Stolk from Heineken jump on the show to discuss how Swipe Guides impacted their global brewing operations. If you're a regular listener here, you know that talking about how technologies apply to brewing is certainly one of our favorite topics on the show. And you can get to that episode by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 167. If you're looking for a hassle-free solution for sharing how-tos and boosting know-how across frontline teams, then look no further and head to swipeguide.com today. And now, back to today's interview. I will say, first of all, I think one of the things you said, and I've known this is the case, but I think the way you phrased it where thinking about AI in manufacturing is where software is making the changes for you, where it's learning what's going on in the system. And let's recap on vision systems really quickly, because I think you, you said it very nicely that that was where artificial intelligence first started for manufacturing. And if you can confirm this, it's because it's it's kind of a it's almost a very intuitive application for artificial intelligence. It's literally looking at pictures of whatever product is being made, and it can pick up and say, "This one looks like the last one. This one th- this one looks like it's in spec," and it learns what is out of spec over time as it kicks them out. Is that the way you would summarize it? Yeah, if, you know, you have to start off by teaching it. You start off with that teaching and then it, it slowly evolves, you know, within a probability. So, you know, this this picture looks similar to a picture that you rejected, a uh, product you rejected before based on, you know, uh, the algorithm that I established and I give it a little bit of tolerance. It says, okay, this definitely is a reject and anything within that scope is all going to be rejects. So, it's not seeing the same thing over and over again. 
it's seeing variations and it's making an intuitive decision to change that. And remember, a, an operator just can't do that. You, you can't see those pictures going that fast and be able to, to process it. So it's really the vision systems are learning that as it's going along. Now, it might flag something and let an operator maybe make that decision, but that's been going around forever, though. We've been using those systems. I, I, I put our first vision system back in my Kellogg's days, uh, looking at Pop-Tarts and then the you know how much uh, frosting was on a Pop-Tart. And that was like 25 years ago. So just think about how far vision systems have come in the last, uh, you know, five years. You look at your phone. I mean, you can take great pictures now. So, yeah, so it's definitely been around for a while. I'm also glad you were able to bring a Pop-Tarts reference into this for two reasons. One, that's a very intuitive application because I've seen photos of like defective pop tarts if you will where the frosting's like only on half the pop tart and yeah. talk about a discouraging thing when you open your wild berry pop tarts and all of a sudden like the frosting is only on a quarter of the pop tart i mean that would be discouraging to me but also with their recent surge in popularity since the now infamous pop tarts uh bowl game uh yeah. where I, I you're chuckling so you probably saw where they literally put a like human pop tart into a fake toaster and out came a giant edible pop tart that the winning team got to enjoy so uh that was that yes I, a great example i didn't mean to get us off on a tangent for that but let's let's go a step further because i think some people hearing that are going to be like hey chris yes that's kind of ai 101 for manufacturing but let's dig a bit deeper into this new application you're talking about where you're leveraging artificial intelligence for 3D modeling. You explained how the process works. Can you maybe put that in the context of a story or how this would play out from an application standpoint? Well, so when we look at AI, you, you, you got to look at, there's so much different pieces of information that you, your brain, I, I think of AI as your brain, you got all these, you're looking at all different things. You're looking at maybe a, a palletizer, a, you know, you're, you got a bottleneck some area. You're looking at all this information, tons of different information, tons of different inputs, and you're you're making a decision based on that, based on past stuff. What was the outcome if you did that? So it's really data is the key. You got to be able to capture that data. Some people say, you know, let, let's go ahead and start using AI. Well, AI takes while to learn. So you need a lot of data for it to make those possibilities. So getting all this data and having to make those right decisions. The interesting thing about using our AI tool, you get um, all that data coming from other sources outside of just your operations. So you think about that, it, it's you're going even a step further because not only are you getting data from your process, but you're getting data from everyone else's processes as well. Maybe they have similar packing lines. Maybe they have similar things. So using their, some of their as intuitive to develop your process. We started using the tool and the AI tool. And basically it was, it was kind of interesting because we would ask it, keep asking the questions, the same questions over and over again, because we're kind of teaching our process so the robot would move and stuff like that. After a while, the responses were coming back differently. So 
that's where you see the AI's tool learning as it um, progress. So as we kept asking it, maybe the uh, same question, you know, maybe I get in a different contents, it, it would come up with a totally different answer. It was kind of interesting. And we were playing around with it and you can make it be kind of a different emotions in the chat, uh, AI uh, functionality. It come back and say, I remember we kept asking the same question over and over again. It finally come back and said, why don't you just Google this? You know, it was kind of funny because the response changed because we just consistently, but it's just playing around with the tool. I, I think the future of AI is how you, um, you know, some of these uh, um, chat AI functionality is really what you tell it to do or what question you're asking. Um, I know I use it all the time and I'm, I'm thinking, wow, if I answer that, if I ask it this question and then, then I get, get down to more details and I can ask it another question. So that whole, what do they call that? A person basically at the job now is how, what, how to speak AI basically. Yes. That's the new function. Yes. I'm interested to see how that job description, job function continues to evolve because yeah, it, it's literally a skill right now to be able to ask questions to AI the way AI wants to hear it, for lack of a better word, the way that it's most valuable for AI to hear it, to get a good response. We'll be right back, right after a word from our sponsor. Are you stressed out by last minute changes in panel building? Maybe you've encountered this scenario. Your customer has requested control cabinets from you and the delivery date is set. You use CAD to create the schematics, you've got your bill of materials, purchasing buys all the components, and then bam, your customer submits last minute changes and you're stuck going backwards to make those changes. If you've been in this situation before, then you need to check out ePlan. ePlan goes beyond your typical CAD software and is ideal for electrical engineering. You can easily integrate component data from hundreds of manufacturers and enter changes just once and apply those changes to the entire project, freeing up your time to take on more important tasks and more customers. You can learn more by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com ePlan and make sure to catch our full-length interview with them in episode 132, where we talk panel design, apprenticeships, and manufacturing the world over. And now, back to today's episode. Back to one of the earlier things you said that really jumped out was like, is this going to be the way of the future of an HMI, a human machine interface on the plant floor? It's not going to be something you're out there programming the buttons for to say do X, Y, Z. It's It could be, as you're describing, like an interface where you're asking the right question to make yeah. changes happen, which I think is a really neat way of thinking about the possibilities for this in manufacturing. It's just kind of interesting because... As an operator, I can have my own avatar. So I can have my own person I'm talking to. I can also pick my own language, you know. So it's, we, we put together a foundation, but the sky's the limit on what, what we can do with this stuff now. So you're right. I mean, just, it could be a different language. It could be a di my own different avatar that I'm talking to. Different uh, voice, you know, coming back to me. So it's coming that way. 
So uh, uh, this is this is going to be a nice segue into the final part of the conversation. But how do you determine if this is a right fit for a manufacturer, or, or if a manufacturer is ready for this type of solution, or vice versa? How does a manufacturer determine if they're ready to have artificial intelligence introduced to their process in this way? That's a challenge right now. And the way I approach things a lot. I- I like this proof of concept. I want to be able to prove it out. So it's actually giving opportunity for for manufacturers to actually get a chance to do a proof of concept without too much investment. If, if it doesn't work out, it's no loss. But really proving that out in their environment is what, what I like to do and trying to push them. Because we can make our environment however we want, but really... How does it work in their environment is really the key. And a proof of concept um, is a great way to do it because there's not much investment and you can build off it, you know. So it's a pilot now, but then it could be a future. So I'm always looking for those customers to say, yeah, you can come to my site and do that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited to see how it evolves. And one thing that I appreciate about Gray Solutions is you're typically trying things before everyone else is trying them. And that's where I want to go with this last part of the conversation is how do you enable people around you, going back to your title, how do you enable the people around you to do cool stuff, to experiment, to try new things? Let's let's talk about that. Well, you know, so at Gray Solutions, and we have our offerings, we, we do have areas, AI, machine learning, that's what we do. It's really taken that next step. I mean, I, I think at Gray Solution, we have some pretty good visionaries that see, um, and I, I offer, I say, uh, you know, just experiment with it and see, see where it can go. <clears throat> they might not know what they're, what the outcome is, and, and they don't need to know what the outcome is. I think we figure that out as we go, but building that foundation, that creativity, and they taking on that and saying, I, I get calls all the time. You got to see this, Greg, you, you got look at what I'm playing around with, you know, and the avat when the avatar, he, he made an avatar look like me, which uh, it was kind of funny looking, just put it that way. <laughs> I, I want to change that avatar, but he just showcased uh, how we can use an avatar to integrate with this AI function. It was amazing. And now it just, it, it's blowing up and what, what can we do next? You know, it's, it's really getting some foundation and get a starting point of, of where we see that. And then we can figure out how to solve that manufacturing problem. It, it's kind of a different way to look at, I, I always look at, tell me what your problem is and we'll solve it. Now it's a different approach. Let's find out what technology and how we can use it. And then we'll solve that problem. It's a little different way to look at things. So we're experimenting. I think that's very cool because you do hear a lot of the people, you know, typically when I do an interview, not even an interview, if I have a conversation with someone, they're saying, hey, we got to figure out what outcome we want and then we'll work the technology to be there. But I think you're adding a very important spin to this within the environment you've created within your team where you want to be encouraging that experimentation because if you have that foundation of what we were talking about creativity you can get 
to some of those outcomes. So it sounds like you got to have a mix of both, right? You need clients telling you, hey, this is what I want to achieve. And then you can be like, okay, here are the technologies we can apply to that. But at the same time, within your organization, when you and your team are experimenting, you got to be playing with the technology to figure out what are the possibilities and then what are some outcomes that can come from that. Did I hear that right? You're exactly right. You know, there's so much technology out there. We have a lot of vendors that are actually have a lot of, uh, you know, software. And do we know which one is the right one? We don't know until we experiment with it. I challenge my team to, to play on it first, you know, get some experience. We don't want to invest a lot of time if we don't think that's the right tool or the right technology. That's what we do for our customers. We, we'll tell them, yeah, that, you know, it's great on this, but it's got some struggles here. So really kind of defining them. That's kind of our job as uh, system integrators and is really providing that customer. And we've already went through this already. Um, and this is what we think is the best solution going forward. You know, I'm that type of person that would rather take it and play around with it where we can read about the technology, but I like to experiment on it first to see, you know, um, figure it out myself. And then, yeah, you, you learn something as you go along, right? When, when you, you should have read those directions, you got two extra screws that you don't know where to go to anymore. That's a very engineer answer of you, as I'm sure many, many folks in in your position would do as well. Take the approach where it's like, I'm an engineer. I'm going to have some fun with this first. I want to summarize this a little bit in terms of some tangible advice for the manufacturers out there, because I think it's really important, like you were saying, to create an environment where your team can experiment with new technologies and then figure out where those apply. So what advice would you have to the other manufacturing leaders that, yes, they want to stay focused on the outcomes, they don't want to get caught up in the hype, but at the same time, you want to make sure manufacturers are comfortable with experimentation that can lead them to successes. Is there a way you'd summarize that in terms of a piece of actionable advice? Well, yeah, there's always got to be a business case. You know, you have to have a tangible reason why you're looking at this technology. There's got to be a reason. Getting everyone involved in it up front is, is a key too. Sometimes it's the higher level people that that are looking at this technology, but it, but who's going to be using it? It's going to be the people, you know, running the plants. And so get those people involved. And I think that's where it starts from them. But again, get someone to help experiment with you. You don't want to do this on your own. I, I do not see technologies changing too fast. You might make some bad decisions and put some investments in where maybe that wasn't the right technology for that whatever you're trying to to prove out and and i do say take baby steps don't go after you know something that's three years out go after something that's a couple months and then play with it and then go on to something else but do those baby steps get in involved in it and don't be scared to take a risk uh on some of this stuff I, i i mean as long as it's not you're not losing out big numbers of of financial numbers, then it's okay to experiment. And one thing I'll be cautious about too, is make sure you have the infrastructure in the security and stuff like that. That is important. Data structures, how those are, uh, how you have data 
aligned. Those are key things. That's kind of the foundation. So if you if you want to, I I, I keep telling our customers, get some foundation first on your data, maybe structure it, have some structure, do, do some of that stuff, put the technology and the infrastructure that you need to get you set up for that future. Um, that's the foundation. If you don't do that, you're going to probably struggle. So building the foundation is key. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. I don't want to call it a disclaimer, but I appreciate that advice around a foundation of infrastructure and security there. I think it's always helpful. I, I wouldn't even say helpful. It's essential to have that reminder when you're trying new things. As we wrap up here, I, I might have an idea of what your answer is to this already, but what are you most excited about in terms of automation advancement, advancements in manufacturing technology, technology for the manufacturing industry right now? I mean, if, if I put focus right now, AI is the functionality that we're going yep. to We truly believe that it's going to change everything. And we feel that, to be honest with you, area in manufacturing is a key area that it can help support. That's where we're putting a lot of our focus. You know, we do a lot with robotics and stuff like that. Of course, that still is a, but but we do believe the AI is going to drive that. I I, I take an example in a vision stuff. You know, we do um, call inspections. You know, a person, an operator takes a, uh, takes a packaged good and it looks at it for defects and stuff like that. You know, make sure the date code is correct. But they do that all day long. Do you think they miss stuff? Do you think that after you look at something um, where you put in advanced vision systems and AI technology, it's not, I'm not saying we need to take the operator out of making those decisions, but truly that's what AI is doing. It's really, um, I, I use the car example. Why there's accidents is not necessarily the car, it's the operator of the car, right? So mm-hmm. I, I'm saying that's why they're investing so much into technology in an automobile. They can drive itself because it can make those decisions. It, it's got a lot of data inputs and it's it's not it's focusing just on those tasks and not, you know, playing with the radio or anything like that. So taking, I guess, the operator out of some of the decision and letting AI, I think that's the way it's going to be. It's it's going to happen and put those operators on more opportunities that are better, not so repetitive and things like that. And that's what I wanted to end on is asking you, as AI takes over some of these monotonous tasks, right, that maybe a human has been responsible for a long time. Let's bring this full circle. What is the cool stuff that the humans, the operators, the folks on the plant floor are going to be able to do when they're not doing those tasks? Well, you, you, you know, you get them to do more regular PMs on, on machinery, doing those things that should be done, keeping that machine run. I, I think uh, you have a tendency to, you know, if you got spend most of your time making sure touching these buttons and doing this kind of stuff and you're, you're doing less time on PM, but you can be proactive. The operators can be more proactive about getting things done outside of the, the traditional stuff that they're doing now. I mean, especially in quality areas, I, I see that as a huge, huge opportunity for vision and AI. 
manufacturing's ready for it. To be honest with you, operators are asking for it. They're, they're not hesitant about, oh, you're taking my job. I don't think that's the case anymore. They'd rather have someone else do some of that monotonous stuff where they can focus on uh, better things to do and really make them do some of the thinking that they that that they should be doing versus having those repetitive stuff done. Yeah, they're they're ready for that cool job. They're ready to be the person that's coming up with those prompts to ask the HMI to uh to be that individual that enables AI to do what it does best and then that way they can have more creative jobs. Right. This has been a fun conversation. I love getting more practical around AI and cool stuff in general. Greg, I just want to thank you for taking the time to jump on today's show. Not a problem. Anytime, Chris. I uh, loved it. Uh, anytime I can show my passion about technology, I love it. And I know I'll be seeing you around the manufacturing industry this year, so looking forward to catching up with you in person soon as well. Okay. Thanks a lot, Chris. Cheers. Hey folks, thanks for listening this week. If you want to learn more, if you want to connect with Greg on LinkedIn, well, hey, go to the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 171. Of course, that's where you can go to connect with Gray Solutions as well. I do want to give a big thank you to Gray, who is a sponsor of this podcast. In addition to this week's sponsors, who you also heard on the show, Swipe Guide, ePlan, Thank you to all of you for making this show possible. Okay, just one final announcement. I mentioned it at the start, but if you're listening to this episode in February 2024, well, hey, you should join me down at the Midwest Manufacturers Trade Show and Conference taking place on February 20th and 21st in Branson, Missouri. This is hosted by the Missouri Association of Manufacturers. It's a group I've enjoyed getting to know over the past few years, and I'm glad I finally Finally, I'm getting the chance to go down there. This event brings together manufacturers, suppliers, industry experts, technologies. I mean, you name it. Like, there's going to be a bunch of people and a bunch of stuff there, including Lieutenant Colonel Waldo Waldman, who's given the keynote talk. He has a book called Never Fly Solo, which is very much in line with the theme of the event. It's all about collaboration, meeting new folks in industry. And of course, I'm going to remind you one more time, there's a manufacturing happy hour pre-party on Monday evening, February 19th. Of course, if you listen to this episode after the fact, this event happens every year around the February time frame. There will be more opportunities. But hey, if you're listening to this in February 2024, we hope to see you in Branson, Missouri. All right, we're going to wrap things up with that this week. Thanks so much for sticking around. We got more episodes coming right after this. We come out every week. You know that. Anyway, stay innovative, stay thirsty. We'll catch you again real soon. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Powered by the Industrial Network.